Hello, everybody. My name is Daniel Prince, and I am the host of the Once Bitten podcast. This is a podcast focused on Bitcoin. It's my mission to interview as many people as I can around the different aspects of Bitcoin and help people understand exactly what Bitcoin could mean for them and for their families and for their future. I hope you enjoy the show. Thank you so much for listening. Hey guys, welcome to this edition of the Once Bitten podcast. Thank you for tuning in. And for those of you that are new here, thank you for falling into the Bitcoin rabbit hole and choosing this podcast to help you along that way. We interview as many people as we can. Generally, I have a sidekick with me, one of my kids, usually Lauren, who's 11, to ask the first question. But none of them were available today to speak with Jeff, so I had to kick off with the dumbass question, which I think we all need to know. What the fuck is an ETF? And a big shout out to... Uh, wizard of Oz down uh, down under who uh, put me in touch with Jeff. Thank you, brother. Uh, before we get into the podcast, please make sure you're checking out the show sponsors. Uh, it's a privilege to have been uh, chosen by these guys to, to help them grow their business and, and represent their service. Uh, you can start stacking sats if you're not ready. If uh, you are stacking, uh, just add to that stack. Don't give up. Keep your foot in. You can do this with Swan Bitcoin. They're based in the US. SwanBitcoin.com forward slash Bitten. Corey and the team. Corey's coming back on the show soon. Looking forward to that one. He's been doing some great work over there in the US. Calling out scammers. We've got Relay offering the same kind of service in Europe. R-E-L-A-I dot C-H forward slash Bitten. And Bitcoin Reserve. Nick and the team are doing great work. You can now, um, I've got to look into what they're doing because they've plugged into the Liquid Network and I've got to start educating myself around that. I'll have to get Nick back on. But check out Bitcoin Reserve. They have Flash and they have Concierge, white glove service. Coincorner.com forward slash social forward slash Bitten. Go hit that and you'll get a free 10 euros or pounds once you've bought a first 100 pounds or euros of your first Bitcoin with Coin Corner. Shift Crypto are going to keep your sats safe because you need a hardware wallet. You might have heard me say that before. You absolutely 100% need a hardware wallet. Get a device. Do your own research. But Shift Crypto have the Bitbox 02 Bitcoin only edition. And it's a great piece of kit. You can get a 5% discount using code BITTEN. Again, all links are in the show notes. Don't forget to check out the conferences that are coming up because Riga is around the corner. Uh, that's the Baltic Honey Badger Conference. We have Liberty in Our Lifetime coming up in Prague. That is hosted by Peter Young and the Free Cities Foundation. And BitcoinDay.io across the states. Monthly meetups. But there's more coming, guys. Just just get on Twitter and find out where it's going to happen because there's going to be one in Biarritz. There's going to be one in Amsterdam. And I think El Salvador got something planned special for their one-year anniversary of adopting Bitcoin. So keep an eye out on all of these things. Uh, Consensus Network. Big shout-out to Nico. This is going... They're underrated, guys. So many different languages... For these Bitcoin books, they're brilliant gifts for your friends that have, uh, you know, speak a different native tongue to you. So go check out uh, Consensus Network and Ungovernable Misfits for your streetwear. That's from Max on the Bit by Bit pod, another great Bitcoin. 
Check the links in the show notes and enjoy this one with Jeff. All right, Jeff, we're recording, mate. Nice to meet you. Yeah, thanks for having me, Daniel. It's always good to speak to one of the Aussie Bitcoiners, mate. I love the Aussie Bitcoiners down there. Yeah, well, we are a, a rare species these days down under, but uh, <laughs> we do what we can. You got a good bunch of guys down there. I know. I know. Stefan has uh, he's flown the coop, uh, but uh, I'll be catching up with him in Prague. But you've still got the ride or dies down there. Uh, you got uh, Wiz, uh, Hodlon comrades, uh, Uncle Bill. Uh, you got Hass, obviously. Mm-hmm. You're very close with Hass. Chloe doing the good thing down there, and um, Daz, obviously l- launching their yep. um, through the looking glass. So many more, so many more, and Katan. How could I forget? Uh, just, just great guys down there. Do you get along to the the Bish Bash Bush? And th- did I say that right? The Bush Bash. The right. <laughs> yeah, but I try. I try to attend as many as I can. But um, you know, running, running a business in this in this space is uh, it doesn't allow you a lot of um, free time to travel. Um, you know, far into the, uh, you know, into the regional. Uh, you know places where they usually hold these um, meetups, uh, but I've been to one of the one of those in a, in a, in Beechworth and also Yapoon, two of them last year. Um, it was great, you know. Um, it's all of, a lot of familiar faces, um, and really hats off to to the organizers to organize that. Um, and you know, I'm sure that you guys can go to the website and have a look of where where the movements are, and feel free to you know um, hop in. Yeah, I'd love to get down there and share a few tinnies with the cobbers for sure. Right. Usually I have a young lady next to me to ask the first question by the name of Lauren. Uh, she's 11, but she's traveling at the moment. So she's unable to attend this podcast. If she's not around, I usually pull in one of her siblings. Um, unfortunately, two of her siblings are with her. And the other one right now is on a, on, on a, a remote Spanish lesson. So I'm left alone on, on my podcast today. But I have to fill the gap in and ask an 11-year-old question to you, Jeff, about uh, Bitcoin or, or financial markets. So I'll, I'll do my best here. What is an ETF? Yeah, so an ETF um, stands for Exchange Traded Fund. So um, by the definition, it, uh, it is a fund that trades on a stock exchange, right? So if you've seen some of the um, Bitcoin ETF announcements we hear in North American markets, um, in the US and Canada. So what it is, is basically um, a fund that pulls together investors, you know, fiat, and then it buys by its mandate, buys Bitcoin, and it puts it in the cold storage solution, um, and then issues a unit price that uh, tracks the price of Bitcoin, right? So, and then that fund is being listed on a, a stock exchange like in the US and in, in NASDAQ or Canada and TSX, um, Australia here, main exchanges are ASX, for example. Um, so you can kind of view it as um, professionally managed Bitcoin holding um, that retail customers can easily buy through a stockbroking app or through their stockbrokers. So it solves a few things. You know, it, 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 is a, it is a very easy and low barrier entry point for, um, 
you know, people to get exposure to Bitcoin in a safe way. Because, you know, comparatively to, say, them buying on an unregulated exchange and storing storing it or then loaning out to a lending platform and they rehypothecate it and, you know, all this thing that happened over the last few months. Um, an ETF, you know, it's fully regulated. It has to be. And the assets are stored and they're not rehypothecated um, to, to loan it out. So, you know, as long as it stays in its cold storage you know environment um the funds are usually quite safe and um some of them or most of them are insured as well so yeah it's, it's just another option of accumulating bitcoin to be honest um i think having an etf is a good thing because it is kind of like a a lower barrier of entry point for a lot of people that might be new to bitcoin or they might have um constraints of accumulating on that by themselves or doing cold storage by themselves, you know, and, and that's, that's, that hope, I hope that answers the question in, in, a, in a simplistic way. No, it does. And um, th- there's a few things that I want to start pulling out of that as well. Uh, first of all, let's go to the U S uh, where there's been lots of talk for years, it seems certainly in the last two years about um, an ETF, certain companies have been trying to launch one. And a lot of plebs might be listening to this thinking, well, there's GBTC. Uh, how does that differ? Why is that not an ETF? So uh, GBTC, what you would, uh, it is not listed. So it's not listed on, you know, a stock exchange like the NASDAQ or, um, you know, in, in the States or anywhere in, in the world. So uh, it is what we classify as an unlisted fund. Um, so the only way you buy it is you approach the investment manager, in this case, Grayscale, to buy units, or you can trade um, the units on a secondary market. In, in this case, it's a, it is a smaller uh, marketplace that you can exchange ownership of that. Uh, the, and the other difference of Grayscale GBTC is that it is a closed-ended fund means that um, an open-ended fund versus a closed-ended fund, being that an open-ended fund allows you to, um, if you want to if you want to redeem your units, basically, aka sell the Bitcoin back into fiat, uh, you can do it. Uh, in a closed-ended fund, in the case of GBTC, um, the mandate prevents that from happening. So the only way you would cash out your GBTC um, is to sell that GBTC unit to another buyer. So um, in, in, the, in the past where, you know, a lack of ETFs in the market where people were looking for exposure that way, when they were the only player in town, um, GBTC as an idea was quite lucrative. So you got people actually paying a premium to acquire GBTC in, in those times um, when, you know, a bunch of macroeconomic you know, environment shift, you know, people's attention are shifted to a bit more um, different matters these days, plus, and also there's availability of um, open-ended exchange-traded funds in the US being a futures futures um, Bitcoin ETF and BITO, also the North American ones that in Canada as well, there's a few of them. Um, there is more competition for, for on the supply side and the demand side has, um, has not been able to keep up. So it depends why you see um, the premium and people, people are always discussing on Twitter about the negative premium on the, the unit price of GBTC. Because again, you know, the only way to, to cash it out is to sell it to another holder. Um, and you know, in the face of competition, in the face of um, market changes, um, investor behaviors, I mean, they, they have taken quite a hit in terms of um, that negative premium. 
Yeah, I'm looking at it right now, and it's currently minus 28.63% uh, compared to the price of Bitcoin. So if you're, if you're a buyer, that might look interesting to you. Is that a, a false flag for you, though? H- how do you kind of look at this shifting premium? It's, um, it is not the most ideal way of accumulation, given that um, there are more I would say they are more better structured product for investors that want to take a long-term position on Bitcoin. And um, with that being said, you know, Grayscale was set up in a, there, there are early, early pioneers in this space. It could be a, a mirror of reasons why they chose to do a close-ended fund versus an open-ended fund. Um, even though, although they have, they have been, have been very publicly um, committing to convert that into an ETF. Um, in the U.S. and it's pending the regulators' approvals on that right now. Um, but even if it's a negative discount, um, it doesn't necessarily mean it's a it's a it's a cheap way to accumulate Bitcoin because at the end of the day, like you can only sell that unit to another buyer. So the premium could stay negative for a long time, or it may, it may actually become worse, or it might actually become better. It's really hard to tell. So it is not the purest way of buying Bitcoin in the world of Bitcoin funds. Um, even though it is, you know, it is what we call um, an OG, right? They are, they are the first of its kind in many ways um, in that nature. And it's definitely paved a lot of um, the, the ways for players like Monochrome to exist um, later in the life cycle of this uh, Bitcoin fund um, space. Yeah, exactly. And just to clear something up for all of the plebs that are listening, both Jeff and I would a hundred percent advise you just to dollar cost average self-custody your own bitcoin stay away from the funds the funds are for institutional investor types that are trying to get exposure to bitcoin but are unable to due to certain regulations um you know think about listed companies etc or uh, pension funds or and we'll get into that but i just want to clear that up for any plebs that are listening just self-custody your own bitcoin you don't need to go near these things this is for more institutional investors and also to 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 sort of um, maybe a slight correction is that um, um, you know as as an investment manager we we don't we don't we don't endorse a particular method of accumulation or or it, uh, endorse you know time to buy time to sell we're not we're not we're not um, we're not we're not directional we not we don't take a directional view on Bitcoin we're just providing access to investors that wanted to do it that way so um, um, you know for, in terms of advice we don't provide them. Just, we're just a solution provider. Um, there are also, um, that being said, there's also reasons why um, non-institutional clients may want to take up a product like a fund, um, just because that, you know, say self-custody may not be in reach with them. For example, lack of knowledge in the space or lack of confidence of them doing themselves, or sometimes uh, it might be a family trust. In that case, um, the ownership of the keys and multi-sig and these kind of things may may only may only work if everyone is com- competent and 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 and, you know, and and good with that process. Um, and people that have um, worries about estate planning, I'm not sure how how that would fit in or how likely they are, they are, you know, people that have survived them, if something happens to them, would be able to recover the funds. Because the last thing you want is that, you know, your your family member go on go on Twitter and post the a photo of your of your 24 words and it's like hey you know um, how do I get the coin out of this right and, and that's that's a scary thing for some people um, the, the way I, the way the way I view it in um, self-custody it's kind of like 
um, nuclear, a nuclear bunker solution behind your house, right? Um, Bitcoin has, unlike a lot of traditional assets or a lot, a lot of di different digital assets, Bitcoin's ability to self-custody is quite a superior um, technology that you can actually um, take it out um, from a, um, you know, from a third party or a custodial structure into your own hands. Um, it is kind of like, you know, in the worst case scenario, you retain the, um, the, the absolute entitlement on your assets. Um, and it's like having a nuclear bunker back in your house. Um, not many people would want to live in a nu nuclear bunker or can afford to, or, or can, uh, you know, live in that inf infrastructure for a long period of time. But it's very important to know how to get, uh, you know, get access into, nu into the nuclear bunker if something really bad happens. Because the worst thing is having a nuclear bunker behind your house that you spend a lot of money and time worrying about it. And when the time comes, you, you, you forget the keys or you don't know how to access it. And that's, um, you know, that, that, that negates the whole point of um, self-custody if you don't know how to actually properly self-custody. Uh, there's a lot of guides and um, a lot of materials online with all respected Bitcoiners that are doing a lot of good work around that, uh, but that's not not our warehouse wheelhouse at Monochrome. Like we are, we are we are a fund manager. Yeah, uh, and it's um, it's cool to to know that these uh, kind of services, like you said, grayscale trust. They were the only they were the only show in town, right? Uh, and they owned that space. And I remember when those premiums were. How high did they go? Do you remember? They were over like thirty percent. It's been a huge swing. There was a, uh, there, it was it was large enough for a long period of time that there were a lot of momentum trades happening where people would buy um, or commit dollars for units in GBTC and wait till a six months lock-in period expires and then you know sell it to um, the market at a premium. So there was a, um, there are a few. Crypto hedge funds that were involved with that, I wouldn't name any names, or a few crypto lenders that were doing that as well as um, as a, one of their main business models. Um, and obviously, that has taken a huge hit in terms of its viability, um, given the negative premium issue. It's still sort of persisting till today. So, if here's what I I'm trying to figure out, they're they're still they're still applying to become an ETF, as far as I remember. Okay. Yep. But if somebody beats them to the punch, if somebody gets there first, the the Winklevoss twins have tried, if I remember correctly. If somebody gets to list an ETF before Grayscale GBTC, surely loads of cash would flow out of GBTC into the regulated exchange listed ETF. So that, that is probably, um, if, if I were to do a guess, I would say that that was probably one of the con, uh, consideration of converting that into an ETF because um, the last thing you want is a run on your or your unit holders, right? When then there is a better product in the market. Um, that you can argue that, well, Grayscale being a close-ended fund um, and they're, they're milking yeah, management fees at a very huge AUM um, or asset under management for short. Um, doesn't really require them or doesn't have really motivate. It's not a really big motivation to convert that into an open-ended fund. Um, but I think competition and also um, a little bit of doing the doing the right thing of offering the best product at a, at a, at a time to the market um, could be a driver to their, to their decision. Um, 
Yeah, I mean, let, let's talk more about you know what's happening in this in this ETF space in Australia as well. You know, given that that's that's uh, that's where Monochrome and I um, operate in, and it's a market that we're most familiar with as well. Yeah, that's what is happening down there, because I think you got some um, good competition, like uh, or good kind of news out of the uh, regulators. What what's the word? So um, the ETFs that you see, a Bitcoin ETF that you see in Australia is they are then they're listed on um, not the main stock exchange. The main stock exchange being ASX has not emitted any, um, you know, any crypto exchange trader products, um, Bitcoin ETF included, onto the exchange for a myriad of reasons. Um, but they are definitely working in that direction. Um, if you if you study closely about um, how these existing you know, Bitcoin ETFs and, and even Ethereum ETFs in Australia are being offered. They are offered in a, in a structure where uh, it is a fund of fund structure. So the ETF holds unit in another fund that holds the crypto or the Bitcoin. Um, and there's one instance where it holds, the, the ETF holds unit in an overseas ETF. Um, that is a that is a um, creative way of getting around the regulators' requirement of saying, um, you know, in late last year, ASIC, uh, the the Australian Prudential Financial Prudential Regulator, has uh, came up with a uh, guidance saying that any retail-facing um, fund that holds direct exposure to uh, def- the definition of crypto assets uh, is required to have a new license authorization under. Yeah, Australian Financial Services license or AFSL for short. So um, very, very few of these new licenses have been granted even till recently. Um, and the, the way that um, some of the players in the market got around from that was saying that if our fund don't hold Bitcoin directly, it only holds another um, equity product or, or an offshore, offshore equity fund, um, you know, that means that we don't need this new license revision. Um, we don't. Monochrome doesn't doesn't necessarily agree with that approach. You know, we we have taken the more stringent stringent licensing route to get our product to market, uh, which is why um, you know it is is definitely taking a little bit longer um, to come to market. Um, but again. Uh, we are competing in the main stock exchange, being ASX in Australia, um, and that's that's probably um, you know that's probably why we we are going through the most stringent round because um, there is that is where the main game is being played. I got a question now again uh, about um, the news out of the SEC, uh, like what did Gensler say exactly? I can't do him word for word, but recognizing that Bitcoin is the only. Uh, game in town and the others are unregulated securities so if you've got a crypto etf let's say in air quotes how does that play out because surely there would that they couldn't be listed on any of the main exchanges if they're un, if they're full of unregulated securities yeah, the thing the thing about it, sort of the exchange listing rules, it's uh, it's actually quite malleable. Um, there are a lot of creative ways fund managers have launched even traditional products. Um, I wouldn't I wouldn't discount that in the crypto um, ETF kind of evolution. There were a lot of creative ways for people to get around certain restrictions around the asset types that you can have and you can't. 
um, whether it's through direct or indirect exposure, um, a lot of things can be done. Um, you know, the US has a very different way of viewing Bitcoin versus the Australian regulator. Um, you know, for example, in the US, um, you know, there, there's still debate on who actually have jurisdiction over Bitcoin. You know, the SEC say they do, the CFTC say they do as well. Um, in Australia, it's a little bit simpler, but there's a catch as well. So in Australia, there's only one regulator that has stepped up to say that we're ready to regulate this asset asset class. Uh, that is the um, that's ASIC. So that's the highest um, the, the prudential financial financial regulator in Australia. So that's the highest. Um, it is like SEC equivalent in Australia. Um, however, they've came up with a new uh, asset class, asset type instead of you know. Putting Bitcoin as a commodity, it's what we see in a lot of in other, other jurisdictions or you know, as a security in, in, in Canada and OSC's example. Um, they classify Bitcoin as a crypto asset, which is a new asset type that was created specifically for this. And, um, and it has, it has not this it has not um, very clearly said that um, you know, what can or cannot be a crypto asset. Right now, that Bitcoin and Ethereum has been named as eligible crypto assets. But um, you know, I got a feeling that that list will continue to expand. So that that's that's a, that pros and cons of that. You know, I certainly don't I certainly don't agree fully with that approach because um, you know a lot of education that we do in Monochrome is to help people distinguish between Bitcoin and crypto. Uh, in fact, we did a piece um, um, on Bitcoin and non-Bitcoin crypto assets, or we call NBDCs or digital assets. Um, so those are those are the few things that we're doing because I think one of the reasons people don't understand Bitcoin very well is because you know once they once they look at Bitcoin they look at you know Ethereum they look at Ripple they look at a bunch of things and they kind of like you know don't really get it you know, in in a way or it's like the story about the blind man and the elephant and people kind of describe how the elephant feels in front of them. So everyone standing at different point of the elephant would have a different view or description of how an elephant looks like, right? Same thing is happening with Bitcoin, right? A lot of people do not understand Bitcoin um, and, and classifies, classifying Bitcoin as just another cryptocurrency does not help that. And in fact, actually may actually worsen um, the, the understanding curve towards um, you know, this asset class. If, if I put myself into the shoes of you know, a Ethereum advocate or a Ripple advocate, like um, if I really believe my technology can stand on its own, like I would want it to be distinct from Bitcoin, right? Um, however, um, there, is, there is certainly a lot of people that are pushing in, even in the Ethereum camp to say that Ethereum and Bitcoin are different, which is, you know, I, I think it's, it's good to support that notion, but it's also people that are leveraging Bitcoin's success and fame to, you know, promote a, cryptocurrency and it's like you know this whole thing about the whole 2018 ico uh, narrative is like it's like bitcoin but better or it's like bitcoin but bitcoin is broken and here's how we manage to fix it right so it's leveraging that something like bitcoin can be successful and hence something something cheaper or much much cheaper that costs a few cents can also become very successful like bitcoin and uh, and actually that is a very dangerous way of communicating um, how these asset classes differ. Um, and, and certainly there, there's a lot of work to be done in that space. Yeah, there certainly is, mate. We fight that battle every single day and we will be for years. There's, uh, you know, so 
Uh, strap in plebs for um for a long one and uh yeah up your bitcoin knowledge read as many books as you can and uh start trying to you know shoot down these narratives from yeah. from the yeah from the other side I, of the I fence a, i got an unpopular opinion that um it might it might stir a bit of uh you know stir a bit of a pot against bitcoiners is that um i would say that think about it right if we push the agenda of bitcoin versus shitcoin um it may it may not be the most effective way to communicate the differences. Um, and sort of what I do personally, and also at, at a firm level, is that we try to sort of tell people, Bitcoin is Bitcoin, Ethereum is Ethereum, like whatever is whatever, right? And let them decide instead of saying like, um, you know, gold versus um, shit metals, right? Um, we say that gold is gold, you know uranium is uranium, you know, aluminum is aluminum, like you want to do whatever you want with that, you know, it's your your choice and your purpose, there might be a use case for it, but not, you know, for example, aluminum doesn't have a monetary premium unlike gold, and it's because uh, investors and society collectively has agreed that, you know, gold plays on a monetary premium, you know, perspective, and it's valued that way, whereas, you know, a lot of industrial metals are valued based on their uh, industrial use case or, you know, this kind of cash flow model or something intrinsic to value it. So I, I personally hope that the whole crypto space can be demystified by people advocating like what they actually are. So it's still looping everything as crypto, looping everything as shit coins. Like we should actually help some of these um, projects sort of stand on themselves and create a narrative that they can actually sell themselves based on merits rather than leveraging something like because Bitcoin is successful and we're creating a better version of that, you know, that usually doesn't work, right? It becomes a bit, a little bit scammy in the end of the day. And um, so I would say that, you know, don't, um, don't push too much on the, everything that is not Bitcoin is a shitcoin agenda. Um, rather, rather help them, you know, go on their own path so that they can proudly say that we are not Bitcoin, we are Ethereum, right? Or we are not Bitcoin, we are Ripple or something like that. And I think that's a, good way to to let the ship seal sort of calmly and away right i'd like to see him try jeff because then they'd soon realize what they were trying to shield <laughs> that's uh well you know and again at the end of the day it comes back to the dyor doesn't it for the person who's actually entering the space and trying to figure this out do your own research and if you do it don't even need to go that deep really to to suddenly start seeing the differences and if um you're willing to put in just a few hours of work and listen to a few hours of podcasts or read a few books then you're going to be you're going to be up to speed pretty quickly because bitcoin is intuitive once you um once you start scratching the surface of it let's go with the rabbit hole story, mate, and then we will um, kind of build that up to you starting Monochrome and uh, and the business that you've built in Australia. How on earth did you? Uh, what, what? Let's even go further back. Uh, family, um, family history. You, you when did you uh, arrive in in Australia? Because you don't have the deepest of Australian accents. Uh, so what's uh, what what's how did that all start unraveling? And then we'll talk about finding yep. Bitcoin. So I uh, I was born and I grew up um, in Malaysia, and I went to Singapore to study and also um, worked there for a few years. And then um, you know my my father was saying to me that hey you need to finish your uni because I put it on hold to 
to you. I just, I just want to do, do something at, at, at that age. And I was like, all right, fine. I'll, I'll come to Australia to complete my, you know, university degree, which I did. And uh, I came to Australia um, probably about six, seven years ago, or maybe even more, I can't remember. Um, stayed here very much since. Um, I've been, I fall into the Bitcoin rabbit hole even before I came to Australia. So that's why, like, the first thing I did was, uh, this is actually a funny story, and not many people actually know. Um, I came to Australia and I timed my arrival to a Bitcoin meetup. So um, the first thing I did was that I need to make it to this Bitcoin meetup uh, in this place places that I never lived before. Um, and I did that. And then after the Bitcoin meetup, only I decide, okay, now what I'm going to do with my long term accommodation. Um, so I actually, um, it's a bit of a funny, funny story that I that I did not prioritize um, my accommodation solution you know, right after 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 my Bitcoin meetup appearance. Um, I grew up in Malaysia, so Malaysia is not being is not a country that's very known for its um, political stability or or um, you know politically political transparency. I would say um, a lot of corruption. Countries pretty much um, you know it's a it's a it's a place that is prime for disruption when it comes to a trustless monetary asset like Bitcoin. Um, and surprisingly, I didn't really get. Bitcoin until something um, eventful. It was an eventful day in 2013, where um, you know when after 2012, 2012, Greece was imploding, um, and then Cyprus had a contagion effect after. So the thing that I, I vividly remember that um, it was the announcement that the Cypriot government were was sort of um, putting out a new rule that was confiscating people's assets in their bank accounts to bail out. The government right because it was feeling at that time and i kind of like go like hmm like this doesn't feel right like you know those those citizens that have worked hard their whole lives had savings in their bank accounts um did not have much or responsibility towards the failure of the financial ecosystem which is pretty much corruption and and and, and misappropriation and also incompetence right on, on the highest level and what happened after was that um Someone was, I think it was a Reddit thread. Um, someone was suggesting that, oh, you know, Bitcoin is the solution. And all like, all right, what, what is this Bitcoin thing? Like, can't be real. Like, the government's going to shut it down. You know, it's not backed by anything. You know, it's in a Ponzi scheme. A few people things that go through people's mind and were the first exposed to Bitcoin. Um, but then um, I started thinking that, hey, you know, this thing had actually happened in Malaysia. You know, it's not, it's not that, I, I'm, it's not a far-fetched thing that something like this one day could happen to my, myself or my family. Um, my friends. So I started to dig deep. And, I, and the more I climbed down the rabbit hole, the more I understand that um, Bitcoin rewrites um, the definition of asset ownership for the very first time in human history. Like, why would I say that? Like, above everything else, um, Bitcoin is a governance innovation, right? You pull aside a bunch of different things, like Bitcoin is a governance innovation. Like, why would I say that? Like a Bitcoin or a Satoshi in a protocol does not care how much it is worth in the real life, right? The protocol functions within itself. Um, it's written, in, you know, it, it doesn't, it, it, is, it is asset price agnostic um, or is it an agnostic to, a, uh, is it, to a, an asset pack, you know, outside of itself. And ownership of Bitcoin, you know, being that, you control your own keys, or if you have control of your own keys, you have control over the asset. It's a very new way of owning something. 
even in the digital world, right? A lot of things that we own digitally, whether it's our money in our bank account that shows up in our app or our, you know, our game sort of clothes and, you know, little little digital swords that we play online, like those are owned by a platform, right? By a bank or the game creator. Um, it's not really owned by you. So to me, that's something like Bitcoin does reshape the definition of asset ownership um, because of its governance innovation that prevents people that do not have um, sort of uh, people that are not the owner to have um, control or exit, uh, you know, unconventional rights to to prevent you from exercising your your asset ownership. So things like the separate bailout couldn't happen if you're holding Bitcoin. The Bitcoin, you know, the Bitcoin CEO can't just say that our oh, Bitcoin price is tanking. Let's you know let's bail out Bitcoin by you know confiscating a bunch of things. We've seen, by the way, we've seen this happen with a few um, cryptocurrencies, um, <laughs> but, but it never happened. It won't happen with Bitcoin. Um, and I think that it provides society for the first time a way that people can own assets without a third party freely um and 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 what that means is there's a big humanitarian aspect to that i think a lot of people that today like we live in a world that everything we own it's governed by a human back governance structure right there is a there is a court of law that says that um, your house you know based on this deed belongs to you and you know if someone trespasses this there's a you know someone tries to steal your house there is a legal recourse to punish that person to prevent um, an incentive to you know, to execute that kind of malicious attack on your property. Um, in a place where property rights is freely, uh, is sort of strongly governed, it's usually not a problem, but there's a lot of places in the world where human back governance structures are failing, right? Um, countries that sink to war zone, you know, highly corrupted regimes um, that doesn't respect, you know, rule of law or doesn't respect, you know, property rights the way that we do in the in, in the place that we live. Fortunately, um, and this is this is a this is a bigger problem than just money, right? Money is one thing. Money is the base layer of, you know, in, base incentive layer for human actions that we all understand. But also the ability to save something and to build wealth and to protect your assets um, needs to it needs to go away from human back governance structures where human back government structures are failing, right? And here comes Bitcoin. So Bitcoin by itself provides a solution for people to save and build wealth um, in a way that is different, uh, meaning that you can have a complete distrust or collapse on the faith of a human court of law, but your Bitcoin is still yours, right? And this is actually very, very powerful um, to, a, to a point that Bitcoin's governance structure is so powerful that it actually is the only asset that can allow a sentient non-human entity to build wealth, right? Think about that whole um, Google AI that became sentient, that kind of thing, right? It's, what can a sentient AI do, right? It, it's, it's rights as a, as a non-human non entity will never you know, be able to you know, challenge a, another human entity in a human back court of law, because humans are incentivized to protect other humans in a, in, a, in, in, uh, in a sort of mutual preservation, um, you know, mutual preservation of rights. Like, I don't want that to happen to me. So I'm going to enforce that against someone that tries to erode on that, uh, where, you know, if he comes up with, if there's a sentient entity that like, like the Google AI is trying to sort of build wealth or claim ownership of an IP, things like that, like it will never win in a human court of law. 
but it will if, it, if the AI holds Bitcoin. You know, AI doesn't want to tell you like what the 24 words are. Like there's no way you can get the Bitcoin away, right? You know, you can shut it down, you know, all that kind of stuff, but the Bitcoins are lost forever. So this is, this is how powerful the governance structure of Bitcoin is. Um, in fact, it's actually very scary if you think about it. Um, if, if a sentient AI manages to actually, you know, amass wealth, um, you know, become one of the biggest owners of Bitcoin, because you know, the, the computers always make better decisions than humans, um, I think. <laughs> like you'll be in trouble um, as a society if we if we if we let that if we let that happen without um, without actually um, uh, you know actually following suit on what um, you know what the next generation of asset ownership looks like. Yeah, I will stop there. You know, it's, Mate, uh, it's yeah, you, 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 you've blown my mind with that last one. And I'm just hoping now that Michael Saylor is not some kind of fembot that, uh, you know, <laughs> accumulating all of the, uh, the Bitcoin that, uh, that he can. All right, hang on a second. Right, Malaysia, Singapore, there's a lot of stuff we can talk about there. I spent 15 years of my career in Singapore in, uh, in foreign exchange and I, I visited Malaysia a lot. And uh, a lot of the plebs might not be aware of what went down in uh, the mid to late 90s, 97 there, the, the Asian financial crisis. How old were you at that point? Uh, and what was going on in Malaysia? Because there you have the Malaysian ringgit. Um, I remember it might have been pegged at that point. I think it's been pegged and unpegged a couple of times to the US dollar. Yep. Um, you were probably a young man at that, at, that, at that stage. That must have been formative as well, seeing what your parents were going through. Yeah, yeah, it's. Uh, I I don't remember that period of time because I was I was a young boy, right? Um, but from what, um, from what my parents told me, and also some of my older um, acquaintances that are you know slightly older and has lived through that period, like you, you hear stories that people lost their wealth, or, you know, someone you know did something, you know, you know it's basically um, really bad to to get out of the problem, which is sad to see, um, and a lot of these kind of stories unfold. And, and the same thing happened in the 20, uh, 2008 financial crisis as well. So financial crises are not you know, usually, you know, I would say that let's not let that happen. Um, but, you know, that's, that's just a very, um, very sad thing to see how it sort of affects people's lives. Um, a lot of people are over-reliant and over-leveraged in their traditional financial structure systems um, through property, through loans, through you know, leverage. Um, it's something something like it always happens again, and it seems like you know there's a, there's a chance that it might. I I, I think that um, you know that's that's going to be a, that's going to be a really sad day to see because I st I still remember like really sad stories of people's um, you know relatives, parents, even parents um, you know did something unimaginable to get out of those problems, um, and and it's just sad to see you know so it's a it's a permanent solution to a temporary problem. And uh, and you don't you don't want to you don't want to see that happening again, yeah. And you mentioned uh, the the corruption there, the the very high echelons of of government in in Malaysia, um, and I was aware of what was going on and saw the country change, um, you know, quite dramatically, even at a landscape level when the the palm oil explosion was just going like, uh, and the slashing and burning of the forests and and the um, either moving along or um, sudden disappearance of indigenous tribes. Uh, it, it was, and there's a, actually a book called Logging. I think it's called Logging, which goes into this very, very deeply and exposes 
uh, a lot of the people that behind this. Um, and it, it's crazy. And then I would be sitting there in Singapore thinking, well, how can like this place border that place and be completely different? But then you realize you're sitting in a quasi dictatorship, basically like a, a one party rule. Um, it's weird, mate, that, that, uh, that divide. And you would have felt that because there's as much as Singapore likes to shill itself as being open to all races and all religions and, and whatever else, there's a very heavy undertow of, um, like uh, racial discrimination in that country, which they just paper over. Mm. Yeah, I think at the end of the day, I still, I still love, I still love Malaysia. Um, love the people there. Love the place. Love the food. Love the culture. Singapore as well. I've got a lot of friends still in Singapore, and obviously families in Malaysia. Um, you know, that being said, all, a lot of these problems that you've described are. Uh, Again, the failure of human governance um, in, 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 a, in a lot of levels. Um, Fear incentives. Yeah, that's right. I mean, the money money talks, right? Money is king. So whoever has the ability to control the supply of money or the Cantillian effect um, controls the um, you know, controls the system and uh, controls the governance structure in, in that sense. And um, sometimes it turns out to be a, a good thing sometimes temporarily um sometimes it gets abused and becomes really bad right um you know Sing singapore is a quite a unique experience coming from malaysia because um you feel that everything is it's actually more efficient more cleaner more quicker you know you know it's a bit more more robustness to it um you know by the same time like you said it is it is not the most um it's not the most sort of free place to live in a way, you know, it's still, it's still reasonable. Like it's comfortable. And if you have, if, if you have money, you can navigate it really nicely and live comfortably in Singapore. Um, but comparatively to, you know, other places might be, people might prefer someplace like someplace like Australia or the U S or maybe even El Salvador right? <laughs> than, than that place. I think um, it's not my position to, to condemn or or recommend any particular country to anybody, um, I think everyone has their own preference, their own uh, purpose, or their own uh, you know you know things that they chase for and, they, and, they, and things they're comfortable with. Um, and and I think one of the benefits of the the iron fist rule in Singapore is that the crime rate crime rates are really low. Like you can leave your doors open at night and don't worry about people breaking in or. Um, you know, things like that. So it's, uh, it's always a trade-off. Trade-offs for everything. So when does monochrome come into this picture? Why and why? Like, what, why did you decide to build something for, for, you know, institutional investors to start investing into Bitcoin? Yeah. yeah, that's a good question. So I think a lot of people probably know me from the time when I was running Binance Australia. So I used to be the uh, CEO of Binance Australia. I was the, also the co-founder of their exchange. Um, so I was, I was, I was running a crypto exchange, right? You know, uh, and, and the, the, my experience of doing that has thought, taught me that um, retail is retail excitement and interest is very high. It's growing exponentially month on month, even today, right? Um, but the institutional adoption curve in Australia is pretty lagging comparatively to a lot of the 
counterparts overseas, right? In the US, we've seen huge institutional interests and inflows um, in, in the state. In Canada, we see the same thing. In Europe and UK, we see similar um, in the developments. But in Australia, you know, everyone's kind of like, you know, it's Bitcoin. It's, we're still at a stage where we're just about to exit the Bitcoin as a Ponzi scheme to, I believe, in blockchain, not Bitcoin. So we're still early, right, in that, in that institutional development. Um, but we'll come around. So um, I just go like, you know, my, my job of running an exchange, making this successful, making it, you know, the, one of the best places for people to trade crypto um, is done. Um, I just want to do something more for Bitcoin, right? I think that um, uh, this, this might, you know, a lot of plebs might not agree with me, but I think institutional adoption is very important to get it right because it, it, might, it might mean very good for Bitcoin or very, very bad for Bitcoin in, in a very fine minor difference. And why would I say that, right? And like any asset classes, one has become big enough, become successful enough, it will attract institutional interest, no doubt. You can't stop people from using Bitcoin, right? That's the beauty of it. But the trade-off is that institutional, institutional investors or firms have very, very big sway politically, um, politically and also in regulation. And uh, you want to be on that table when those decisions are made uh, because you know that's it's the, the worst thing is having to see a lot of this thing say there's a regulation that's really really bad for bitcoin created by people that do not understand the asset class being affected the place and people starting to urge everyone to call their senators and everything's like well you could have prevented that by participating more in the first place right so it, it is it is like playing the preventive game than reactive in terms of that, that adoption um, cycle. So that's what we do at Monochrome. Like we are, we are an investment manager that specializes in regulated access and products into the asset class. Um, we take a very conservative approach. Like there is we, our funds, uh, we, are, we only have a Bitcoin fund. Um, it is a single asset passive, means that there's no trading, no leverage, no, you know, no, nothing, right? No rehabilitation, just a pure holding Bitcoin fund in the custodial, custodial structure. Um, and we, we, we do that by, um, you know, uh, and, and that allows us to, because of a conservative nature, it allows us to work with some of the, um, you know, say tier one service providers in the space that would otherwise not service any crypto businesses in the space because every everyone is everyone looks a bit little bit too cowboy for their appetite right so um, that is one thing that i think our team did really well was to you know, get in place a lot of the tier one solution providers that is critical to support infrastructure in you know the the institutional adoption of bitcoin um even though we're still early, but we have already seen ourselves leading in a few areas that um, I, I'm really proud of my team. Like we already only two Bitcoin funds, if not all crypto funds in Australia that has an investment rating. Um, and that's actually a very rare achievement being that an investment rating is kind of like how, um, you know, you like how pretty simply, you know, like when you buy bonds, they go like triple A rated, triple B and whatever, right? So mm -hmm. in, in, the, in the investment management space and every fund would have their own rating of whether it's, you know, it's, it's good investment grade or it's not, you know, what, what do you do with that from a, from a, from a decision level if you are a pro, uh, product um, operator? So those are a few things that requires a lot of rigor, a lot of experience and a lot of um, discipline to get it right. Like we are the only crypto 
specialist investment manager to be admitted to the ASX to, to play in the ETF listing space. Um, we are we are also um, probably still the only firm in this digital asset space that is working with some of the very big tier one institutional providers of you know, from FX to administration to um, you know unit registry, for example. So a lot of these things um, we are pioneering um, in anticipation of um, Australia becoming or following suit their international counterparts. Um, you know, with the whole, uh, the only the only thing that sort of it's I think it's slowing down right now is um, you know the unfolding of Terra, Luna, Celsius, a lot of you know three arrows, and all of these things are just instilling more fear and uncertainty into um, already a skeptic crowd. So it's, it has made our job a little bit more difficult, but I think the whole slowing down the pace has also helped us in a way because um, I love building in a bear market. You know, I've built I've built businesses in the space in the bear market before. I've, I've know how to survive it, and and also know it's the most enjoyable time to build. Period. Um, and it seems like we're entering a little bit of that um, at the moment. And uh, we have, I think we have uh, we have never been this focused on 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 our projects. I would say in a long time because. Um, Every month is just someone say something, they're launching this, they're trying to do this, this bank is looking to that, that bank is looking at this. And it's, you know, it's a distraction to be, to be honest. Um, you know, we, we're here to take the wild west out of crypto. Um, and we, we hope that hope that the market appreciates that we're doing a good job. Um, ultimately, it's, it's, it's the market, uh, it's left for the market to judge how, how good of a job that we're doing at Monochrome couple of things I want to touch on. First of all, we've got to go back to you being at Binance. Um, what was going on whilst you were there? You, you were there through the block wars? The block size wars? Um, I was not yet in... I was not yet running the exchange during the block size war, but I was very involved in the whole Australian part of the, you know, the debate. <laughs> Give us this whole, uh, give us some uh, yeah. some some of those stories because a lot of us, uh, you know, especially those yeah, that okay, come sure. in like after eighteen, for example, you know, I, sure. I find these these stories fascinating. Yeah, so I was I was uh, back in the box size. Well, I was the I was the chief product officer of a, um, a startup called Travel by Bit. So um, you know you know we were a payments solution provider for shops and merchants including the airport in brisbane brisbane airport and a lot of places regional towns in queensland to accept you know bitcoin for payments for services in hopes that it boosts uh, tourism or it boosts like a new 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 type of um, spender or, or visitor so during the block size war um, this infrastructure was all in place i think we had one of the other than having all this meetups where we got people trying to debate Bitcoin is dead, you know, it's overtaken by evil, you know, reptilians and all that kind of conspiracy. <laughs> but you also you also get really funny is that like there are people that were just tearing down the Bitcoin accepted sticker to replace it with you know Bitcoin Cash accepted because you know they view that Bitcoin is not suitable for payment and or or, or it's uh, it's less secure you know a lot of a lot of fat uh, and hey you know the solution is is better and here's here's what whatever it is um, it's like wouldn't wouldn't want to say 
too much, but uh, there's also instances where one of our merchants came to me and said after the fact that, you know, um, you know, wouldn't disclose he or she was was a bit petrified by um, a few people storming into a shop and asking her to tear off her Bitcoin acceptor sticker and replace it with like a huge Bitcoin cash acceptor sticker. And I, and I just felt bad, you know, like you know, people are just trying to do their best um, in, in a small business and having to be um, having to be sort of dragged into the whole block high school. And that was the part where I felt, you know, it crossed the line a little bit where, you know, this is nothing to do with them. This is, you know, whatever you have is between, you know, the other, the other crypto um, ecosystem. It's, you know, people are just running their little shops there and, and, you know, harassing them that way is just not the right thing. But, um, you know, when, when, when debates get that heated, um, people, you know, start to act and behave less rationally and, and that's this this is what happens yeah yeah mate weird times weird times and for anybody that wants to learn about it read um the book by jonathan beer because he's got a, a great um it's called block size wars uh great inside accounts he was at a lot of the meetings and inside a lot of the rooms where these debates were going on but uh, it's definitely worth checking into if you've not learned about those uh now you talked about the plebs um, kind of take on institutional investment. And of course, we all want as many people on board into Bitcoin at the family level, at the pleb level as possible uh, before any big financial markets um, kind of wake up, any big players come in. But then you got to look at it as well with a, a lower time preference, I suppose, because these institutions that you're talking about, uh, th these could be pension funds. And if we can get pension funds across the line to start stacking into Bitcoin, that's a, that's, that's you're protecting your, your mother and father then, or your, your grandfather and grandmother, depending on how old you are, because we all know how hard it is to orange pill the, you know, our, our elders. So there is some, there has something to be said there. That is another way of protecting not only yourself, but your children as well. Because if that pension is then held in Bitcoin and the wealth is saved, then there is a chance that some generational wealth could be passed down to you. So you can then convert it into Bitcoin and self-custody, obviously at higher prices, but at least it wasn't all inflated away and just lost. Yep. So, so I think... With how would I respond to that is, you know, don't fear institutional adoption. In fact, I think that we may still have a, we may still have a journey to go before that actually fully explodes. Um, there's a few things that institutional clients are concerned about the space. You know, one being um, the volatility of the asset class. You know, if you run a pension fund. Um, and your performance is usually benchmarked um, against, you know, a competitor or a, a range of competition. Um, and Australia recently introduced a new reg regulation or legislation, or basically a rule for for superannuation funds, just pension funds, what we call here in Australia, super funds, um, call your super your future. Um, you know, in short, it has basically created a new 
um, new way to punish underperformers, right? So if you're a super fund, like you'll be very, very worried about volatile asset classes. Uh, and the drop from 65, 20 has definitely not helped in terms of um, you know, any sort of conversations in, in around the volatility aspect. Um, even though we, we know that volatility can be harnessed, can be managed, but again, um, Bitcoin is a very small part of their radar um, at the moment and other than volatility there is also um, people just don't understand it there is a lack of objective education around the space if you google anything about bitcoin you get a lot of very different results um, you go to youtube type you know what is bitcoin you get a bunch of you know youtubers that are basically spruiking um, you know today i was saw like on twitter posts like there is the, this youtuber that posted consecutively within a 12-hour period of one is that Bitcoin is dead. And then the other one is like, Bitcoin is coming back out, right? You know, it's a, <laughs> it's a, it's a, it's a real problem. So, so that, that, that won't be taken seriously uh, as, a, as an asset class, unfortunately. And, um, you know, there's lack of regulation around the way that people market Bitcoin or market Bitcoin related products in a space or crypto products in general. Um, and, and that is, that is all these factors contribute, um, and also regulation, like the regulatory clarity. At least we have that reasonably well in Australia, but again, there's still a long way to go in a lot of places. Um, so all this adds up to be, um, you know, institutions are the one that has the most most to lose, right? They they are first of all they're not managing their own money. It's not their it's not their family's money. It's not their parents' money. It's not their own money, um, and and they're just they're just doing a job to protect. Um, the wealth of their investors um, and having them, you know, get exposed to Bitcoin in a any meaningful way, it's very very challenging at the moment. Um, not not saying that it, it won't be able to, it won't be able, it won't change in the long term. Um, but that means also we got a lot of work to do. I think first of all is that we have to educate people that um, what Bitcoin is and what Bitcoin is not. Uh, what are different crypto assets? in the space, um, how they're different to Bitcoin and what they all individually do. Because um, what, what has happened, I'll give you, a, give you an example, has happened with the Luna, Luna crash is that um, some of the service providers that are critical in the space has taken, you know, basically the Luna collapse as um, a chance of a crypto risk and everything that is crypto has a risk to go to zero, right? Um, you know, Bitcoin, Bitcoin has a risk to go to zero. Yeah, that would be probably not a, not a non-zero chance, but it's significantly significantly lower than something like Luna, you know, and a lot of the crypto projects in the space. But that's not being communicated properly and well to that market. They just look at everything; it's crypto, right? If one crypto can go to zero in a span of two days, so can Bitcoin, and that's that's where the hit is right now. So we need to educate better, um, and also making sure that we support the right people to speak on behalf of the asset class in those forums where you know regulators are present or, or or big institutional um, panels are involved. Um, and those those are the things that we try out try it our hardest to. Like Monochrome has a research division, so we call Monochrome Research Monochrome.co/slash/research. It's actually led by Haas. So Haas is actually a hit of research in Monochrome. Um, so you can go and view the sort of content that we produce there. Mostly, if, it, if it's a bit too complicated, it's because it's, it's designed for fiduciaries to consume. So advisors or uh, you know, people that work in the financial professional 
uh, fashioned um, would consume those materials. So we talk about why Bitcoin is volatile to what are the risks of Bitcoin. Uh, we're coming out with an ESG series. Um, we talk about the, the regulation around Bitcoin, the pathways to exposure, et cetera. So there's about 10 other pieces of, of content over there. So uh, definitely worth, worth a read if you have time to. Yeah, and big shout out to Has McCook, uh, a, a true Bitcoin Aussie legend that's doing some, uh, some great work. And it's awesome to know that he's on your side and, and helping you guys out as well. What's the word on an Aussie CBDC down there? Because we're getting a lot of chat over here out of Euroland and obviously the US as well. What's the word in Australia? Yes, yeah, so um, CBDC or central bank digital currencies for short is always going to be a topic every time we do a roadshow, we do a, do, a, do, a, do a product day or something like that. It's like, oh, you know, with CBDCs coming up, like, would that make Bitcoin redundant or what would mean for Bitcoin, right? So I think the simplest answer would be, um, look, like we went from paper notes to polymer notes to digital, you know, digital money in our bank app to now CBDC, central bank digital currencies. So there's no change of the fundamentals of the risks and the, and the benefit of that type of money. You know, if you like the kind of money, it's just a newer, more innovative way of that same, same type of function. But Bitcoin is completely, completely different, right? Bitcoin is, um, you know, Bitcoin again is, is, is void of a human governance layer um, on its base infrastructure layer. Um, it is not, um, not susceptible to um, political or, or uh, central banking risk. There is no central bank policy that can change the issuance of Bitcoin every 10 minutes, for example. Um, you know, there's no way that you know, a political uh, attack can and enforce you know, Bitcoin to stop producing blocks. You know, that's just not how it works. So um, that, that itself puts Bitcoin in a very unique type of asset class compared to a new type of digital dollars. So you know, I think that digital dollars would have more implication to people's freedom to transact than it has on Bitcoin potentially. I think it's a red herring to compare um, CBDCs to Bitcoin more than it should be compared to cash, you know, physical cash. Um, you know, if in a world where a lot of cash is disappearing um, and the ability for people to conduct um, transactions in, a, in, a, in areas where they have little trust against that government or the government doesn't doesn't it's, it's not it's not a it's not the cleanest kind of government that that doesn't allow people to trust them that much i think um having that transition into cbdc would just only make things worse for people living in that scenarios um that's why you know bitcoin is kind of like a life of that scenario in fact i think that the acceptance and acceleration of cbdc's is long-term-wise, is going to be a good thing for Bitcoin because it is the biggest advertising effort for Bitcoin. And people say that Bitcoin has no use case. Well, wait till, wait till you have no other options than to use Bitcoin like a lot of people do in, in, in a lot of places. Um, and that's where I think that it will shine. Um, and speaking of that, um, we do, you know, I was, I was at a... I was at a fund manager. Another fund manager was doing a conference in Australia, and you know, it was no, they're not a Bitcoin fund manager. But what struck me was the the first thing that they said was, 
um, Bitcoin is useless. Um, it's very, very speculative. Other than speculation, it does nothing. So, you know, you know don't touch it pretty much. And I, I think that that's, um, you know, that is a very, I'm sorry to say, but that is a very entitled view because um, just because if it's not useful for you, it doesn't mean that it's not useful for a lot of people around the world. Um, and I think that's still the view of a lot of people. And, and to address that, you know, the, the way that I think Bitcoin, to help Bitcoiners counter the arguments of, well, Bitcoin is not backed by anything, hence there's no intrinsic value, hence yes, no value. I would like to help you guys with, um, this is what usually our pitch goes, right? It may be useful, maybe not, but hear me out. Um, Bitcoin is not an intrinsically value asset class, right? Uh, means that there's no discounted cash flow model, there's no revenue, there's no yield to 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 derive its 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 values for market value. So it's purely based on sentiment-driven um, effects of people. More people wanted wanting want wanted than its supply that supply has. Bitcoin's supply function is set in stone. You know, 21, 21 million Bitcoin. You know, every 210,000 blocks and halves supply and all these things, it's all known to, till pretty much hundreds of years into the future. Um, the demand function is the one that is unknown, right? If you compare a non-intrinsic value asset class, the two asset classes that you would compare it to is gold and land, right? Think about it, not property, land. Um, gold itself is it's industrial use. It's, it's a, it makes up a very small portion of its entire um, valuation. A lot of that is just people just want it because it's shiny and people believe that it holds value. So a lot of its a lot of its uh, its makeup it's non intrinsically valued in, in that in that, in that re reality. Land as well, right? Like the way that you value a land is not like how much. Um, you know how much it is it is um you know it, it soil profile or you know how much coconut trees or crops that you can can plant of it it's valued based on what did the neighboring lot sold for and what did the neighboring lot sold for and it's like mine should be worth around this right it is also sentiment driven right people just want land in places like cbds or you know main, major cities like new york manhattan um Sydney, they close it at home. So these are a few assets that are not intrinsically valued. And to call something that has no intrinsically way to value it means that it goes to zero, means that they don't understand this type of asset class. Um, and it's unique, right? It's like in the analog world, we have gold, we have land, but in the digital world, we have Bitcoin, right? So you can argue that people don't need digital, digital gold, people just need physical gold, but Gold has filled once as physical gold before, right? In in the removal of the gold standard, the reason why gold was um, pretty much um, you know battled down was like um, safe or saying you know gold has good properties of silverness through time, but poor silverness through space. So meaning that you can't transport it easily over time. Gold gets stored in a central custodian or clearinghouse, and it becomes really hard to verify ownership or very very hard to or verify um, you know, legitimacy of the gold bar means that it's centralizing effect, it's always you know, going in one direction and eventually you know, it just comes and take it away. Um, and gold has, gold, once, you, once you demonstrate that governance um, structure failing once, like it will not come back, the faith will not come back. Uh, no matter how much you like gold, no matter how much I like gold, like it is really, really difficult.
that is why Bitcoin, um, the, the way the way that I view Bitcoin is that it is a new way of a new way of governance, um, and hopefully it doesn't fail. You know, it's designed to not to fail. A lot of the trade-offs are made so that it is it is as secure as it can be. Um, people criticize a lot of aspects of Bitcoin, but what we really tell you is that they don't understand Bitcoin. Um, you know, I, I can have a four-hour-long conversation of every criticism someone has on Bitcoin, and I'll tell them why exactly it has to be this way, and, and what was the alternative that was done before before Bitcoin, and what happened to them. So I think a lot of these things, um, you know, I, I think I'll, I'll stop here, but um, you, can, you can feel that there's a thousand things that I want to say goes through my mind. <laughs> I hope that we got more time. The it, it, this is a a nice topic that you picked out. This this word intrinsic or this term intrinsic value because it gets thrown back at your face all of the time, whereas people don't even understand what it, that actually means. I think to a lot of people that you face that just say, yeah, well, it has no intrinsic value that they, they think intrinsic might mean like tangible almost uh, like yeah. you, you can't touch it. It's n- Whereas like, like you explained with gold does not have an intrinsic value because an intrinsic value is like a, a mathematical formula, which you use to work out the price of an asset and its underlying financials, you know, it's for, for stocks and equities. Mm-hmm. Yep, that's right. And, and also, um, some, some people like to say that, oh, you know, but gold, I can touch, I can feel it on my, my land, my property, I can stand on it, I can live in it. But again, like, you know, take, take property, for example, like, although your property is physical, the deed is enforced by governance that's completely virtual, like, it's rule of law, it's people's, people's respect of that law in existence to not intrude or occupy your house. Or, um, you know, otherwise they risk going to jail and they don't want to happen to that. But in places where that governance layer, human back governance layer is feeling like you can have people sitting in your house and you can do nothing about it, right? So what's good of having a land or ownership of something that you can touch and feel, but you don't actually own, right? Think about it. Whereas Bitcoin, right, you can't touch it, you can't feel it, um, but it is yours, right? So what this means is, what this means is, is bigger than, than, than your, than, than what's in front of a lot of people, um, what people see today is that um, if we move fully into the digital world and we live in a digital, digitally powered economy or society, right? You know, society is only going one way where technology is going to be more and more advanced. People are going to live, work, um, you know, meet online or build wealth, make money, you know, on the internet, right? So having a digital digital version of a property, it, you know, it's, it's quite, it's quite hard to comprehend, but it's quite important. And I think that um, because I, I grew up in a, in a, you know, property development background where I got a bit of a bias to how I view Bitcoin as land. Um, I view Bitcoin as property, like physical land, where you need to build, wait for buildings to come on board or have that CBD become recognized as a CBD for people to come and build, come and work, come and, you know, tenants fill the buildings to actually maximize the, um, the value of your Bitcoin. Right. We're still early days. We're still like, you know, the swamp, swamp land stage of Manhattan today when it comes to Bitcoin. Um, and people just go like, you know, the swamp land does nothing, right? Um, I got a better piece of land in the middle of like, you know, Kansas that can grow corn. Like, what can you do with a swamp land in Manhattan? Ha, you know, a little bit things like, like that is happening in, in the crypto space. 
Um, whereas like, hey, I got a, you know, you got a better version of Bitcoin, I can do like 10,000 transactions per second, and Bitcoin can only do this much, uh -huh. you know, it must be worth more. But, but it's not the right way to view it. And I think that in the digital environment, a digital version of a CBD would be less than what we have in the real world. What it means is like in the real world, there is a physical limitation of how far people can travel to work or how far people can travel to meet. So societies you know, typically congregates around cities and there's, a, there's an optimal distance between one major hub to another. Whereas in the physical world, you, you, the cost of migration is so marginally low that you do not need to be on you know, 10 different CBDs. You can only, you would probably only need one or two, right? So um, Bitcoin what, being that What do you mean by, by CBD, just to... Um... Like Clarify. central business district, like it's a okay. you know, it's a term where, where it refers yep. to like the the major center point, which most 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 of the time is like the most valuable land in in the country, right? Um, so in the digital world, you probably will end up with like one or maybe two or very 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 few um, um, you know underlying sort of asset structures like Bitcoin. And um, right now, what we're seeing in this whole explosion of crypto, Web3, DeFi, it is kind of like people are trying out concepts of building house, building a house with a lift or building with, a, you, know, you know, whatever, right? All this cool innovation of how you, you maximize um, the, the asset, asset class in places where it's cheaper to try it out. Like, you know, you build it out in the middle of a farm to see that if this thing stands out and this thing actually attracts people. And once it becomes a valuable business on its own and it becomes so profitable, um, you have so much to lose. Like the next thing you want is you want to make sure that it's built on the on the best place on earth, right? You would, for example, it's useless to build the best building in the middle of a war zone than to build it in the middle of Manhattan, right? Even with the same material, same same you know, speed or same lift systems or whatever. It's, it's, you have to find the best, um, you know, bedrock solution. I think in the digital space, Bitcoin arguably is the most secure governance layer for asset transfer and ownership, period. Totally, 100%. Couldn't agree more. Uh, what was the news out of CBA? That's a big bank down in Australia. Uh, that I remember an announcement, I don't know, nine months to a year ago. Yeah, yep. So CBA stands for Commonwealth Bank of Australia. It's like the what we call the big four bank here in Australia. Um, they announced, I recall if I correctly, it's probably June last year that they were allowing crypto trading on their bank app, which is you know, probably one of the most downloaded and used apps in Australia. So which is a very, very huge deal when they announced it. And um, I think a lot of um, a lot of exchanges were like, oh, you know, this is going to, it's going to affect our, our you know, the bit of existence. It went, went a bit of an existential crisis among sort of especially smaller changes back then. Um, and I think that sort of ASIC, maybe the timing thing, but my, my understanding, my, my speculation, you know, doesn't really, doesn't reflect Monochrome's um, view or, or anybody's view, is that that announcement was a bit premature because it, a couple of weeks later, the financial regulator announced a consultant consultation paper on retail, pretty much talking about ETPs, exchange traded products, which means that it's retail accessible, you know, products to crypto. Um, and that, and if I if I was CBA back then, I was like, if I after announced this way of accessing crypto to 
my customers to access crypto. And then this new regulation comes out that's basically said that my way of doing it is probably needs a bit of work in it. Um, like I, I, I would be, you know, I would be, it would be challenging, right, to to actually proceed with what you plan, because crypto exchanges in Australia is in Australia is not regulated. There is no regulatory framework to govern them. So the only sort of um, regulatory body that they report to is Austrac, which you know it's the it's the anti money laundering, counterterrorism financing, um, you know, watchdog of Australia. So they only report transactions or suspicious transactions to the authority. But unlike sort of more traditional regulated financial products, their crypto exchanges do not have to adhere to a lot of in investor protections implementations like custody frameworks, proper insurance, proper um, net tangible assets, proper governance structures, um, dispute resolution, etc. Right? There's nothing like that in the crypto environment. So it pretty much means that if the crypto exchange collapses, you lose your coins, right? And there's nothing you can do to spot weakness as an outsider until things happen, right? Whereas if you go through an audit, you go through a proper processes, there's a lot of layers that you can spot weaknesses in a financial product or a financial um, licensee holder before things happen. Usually, um, it's not the, it's not the fault of crypto exchanges to you know on a preface that it's just that it's so new that the regulators haven't came up with a framework to regulate them. So um, CBA's way of trying to access crypto was probably announced prematurely um, and, and, and that whole new licensing requirement that came out a couple of weeks after from, from, you know, for the, the, from ASIC, which is the SEC equivalent here in Australia, pretty much shot down the whole idea. Like I, 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 told, I told a couple of people close to me back then, it's like, this is not a good look because... Um, it is probably not going to launch because they will have to fundamentally shape that product. And I don't think they can do it um, that easily. So um, fast forward to today, um, I think we've heard in the news that they have pretty much put the idea on ice, which is not, not, um, not, not surprising to me. Um, plus also the whole contagion effect from the whole Luna, Terra, Celsius, a lot of the collapse of the crypto ecosystem and and, and as a sort of only made um, skeptics more skeptical within this very, already very um, conservative organization. So um, it is it is like, I, I sympathize on the team that's behind it. I, I really do that they mean well. Um, and I really do have, they do hope that they launch a product that they, they, they hope for the market. Because again, the more the more safer the more safer pathways for customers to access Bitcoin, it's better for Bitcoin. It's better for everybody. Better for the investor. Better for the ecosystem. Better for the protocol and the coin itself. Um, yeah, I, I I wish them wish them well. Yeah. Yeah. Let's let's hope um, they can get something figured out. Um to give more people access to bitcoin and in a, in that comfortable fashion right and that um in that low barrier to entry way do you guys have any announcements coming up that you're allowed to share or are you tight-lipped on what's going on at monochrome at the moment um we are we are not sure if there's anything that is not not able to announce it maybe i'll just basically rehash some of the recent announcement that we did maybe that's a better way to do it um so we are we we, we are we have intention to launch 
a Bitcoin ETF, a spot Bitcoin ETF on the main stock exchange here in Australia called the ASX. Um, and that's that's still in progress. So we, we hope for positive outcomes of that endeavor. Um, and also, you know, like you mentioned earlier, motorsports, um, you know, do follow the Carrera Cup Australia. You probably see the monochrome Porsche going around the track. Um, one of the drivers that we sponsor, David Wall, recently did his 200th race in Carrera Cup in Australia. And uh, I just retweeted a interview that he did um, on Twitter. So just go check it out. Is he stacking sats? Um, you know, I can't, I can't, I can't disclose um, how <laughs> clients of ours or you know, whether they, whether, what, what they whether do, they do and, and or everything. do not. Yeah, exactly. Good obsec. Uh, well, let's whether hope he is. Clients or not. Yeah. Uh, let's, let's, let's hope he is. Yeah. That's, um, like the, the motorsport thing. I, I did see it. We've spoken, uh, about it and, uh, introduced you to the bitcoin racing team here in the uk that are trying to emulate uh what what you've got going on over in australia and get themselves into the porsche carrera cup uh all covered over with uh with either just bitcoin companies or funded by plebs uh however they can get it done but uh fingers crossed we can get that um across the line pun intended uh where can the plebs come and find you, Jeff? What, what's the best way to interact with you or anybody out there listening that uh, is working inside an institution looking for this this opportunity to invest in Bitcoin? So I'm I'm, I'm rarely active on Twitter, but you still can find me there. Uh, my Twitter account is just JeffU underscore. Um, probably the most most easiest way to contact me or my team is through our website, monochrome.co. So it's M-O-N-O-C-H-R-O-M-E dot C-O. Um, yeah, reach out to us, ask us a question, have a chat. You know, any any questions would not be, um, no, no dumb questions. So just keep it coming. We're always here to help. Um, you know, we're friendly people. So love look it. forward to Jeff, hearing you guys. I got one more question to ask you. If you had one orange pill left to give to somebody who would you give it to and why oh got to think about this i'd say that you know just um hopefully i can give it to my future children you know i, I still you know I'm, I'm still young i don't have kids yet but i hope that they they get bitcoin as much as i do and I hope that I can I can pass on this this legacy um, to them because um, um, I think Alex Glastin, you know, the, the chief strategy officer of the Human Rights Foundation, put it very well: is that um, you know it's better to have a future where there is a lifeboat like Bitcoin than to have you know nothing like that and everything our children has lived through it, financial surveillance, you know, erosion of privacy, tools, and everything else, um, whereas you know, Bitcoin is, we're not here to say we want to replace this and that, we replace everything, but it really is a choice, it's an option for people to choose. So the the, the, the main message here is that um, it's providing people with choice and freedom um, and, and not forcing them to do something that, that, they, that they don't want to. Yeah, you know, those of us that are listening that do have kids, mate, you know, we 
as parents, you know, you're doing the right thing. You're, you're stacking. And yes, of course, you will be able to pass that down. But if you pass down something to somebody that doesn't understand what that is, you, you possibly are creating a, a bigger problem in, in the future of their lives. So there's a lot of work to be done as parents uh, to, to educate your kids about what it is that they are going to be, you know, receiving in future life but it's got to be understood and looked after properly and cherished and uh and used correctly and so many other all of the other things that we've learned through our own journeys so it's a good shout mate that's a good shout i, I think that's the first time anyone's uh come up with that answer so nicely done oh that's good to hear thank you thanks daniel well, great to meet you, mate. And thanks for coming on the show and sharing all of this. And I hope the plebs reach out and enjoy the rest of your e uh, uh, yes, evening for you over there, isn't it? Yep, that's right. Thank you. See Pleasure you, chat. Hey, guys, thank you for tuning in. And thanks again, Jeff, for coming on the show and sharing all of your knowledge and what's been going on down under there. It sounds as though you guys are pushing forward and trying to get this uh, ETF across the line, which is going to be uh, another huge step forward in the adoption of Bitcoin as we you know, work towards this new bright orange future. Thanks for explaining uh, exactly what an ETF is is uh, i think that will go a long way and the difference to uh, a closed-ended fund that go a long way to helping out a lot of knowledge for the plebs out there who uh we're all still trying to piece all of this huge puzzle together um but if you're doing it right guys you just should be dcaing dollar cost averaging fiat cost averaging slowly and intentionally uh into bitcoin it's very boring way to invest but it is the only way to invest especially in something like bitcoin because you will have huge ups and downs and you just want to capture as many of those downs as you can when you can and uh this is the best way to do that i've had Hass mccook who was mentioned in this interview uh he was on oh, probably a year and a half a couple of years ago but we did a deep dive into DCA, so go and find that one if you're uh, still trying to figure out exactly, uh, you know, how to build your position here in Bitcoin in a safe way. Because we've seen a lot of blow-ups recently, and you do not want to be caught and losing your Bitcoin in one of these companies. Just stack and self-custody. That's all you need to do. There are companies out there that have built brilliant products to help you do this, and they... They show support to this show, uh, and you can find them in the US. There's there's one there called swanbitcoin.com forward slash bitten that will get you a free 10 bucks when you sign up. Relay in Europe, R-E-L-A-I.ch forward slash bitten. Also in Europe, a Bitcoin reserve can offer you a white glove service as well if you're going to put on a bigger position to begin with. Maybe you've got friends with uh, or boomer family with a fair amount of chunk. But we'll need that white glove service. Bitcoin Reserve can help you out. Or you can use their Flash service as well to buy daily. Coincorner.com are a exchange. You can set up auto buys with them. They're going to hopefully be offering, well, they're already offering the Bolt card, which is like having a, a bank card linked to your account. So they're doing great things. The hardware wallet you want to use, Bitbox02, 
Bitcoin only edition, uh, that's Shift Crypto. And you want to get to some of these conferences to learn about Bitcoin. Get to the Baltic Honey Badger in Riga. Get to Liberty in Our Lifetime in Prague. And get to BitcoinDay.io over in the States. Check out Consensus Network and go visit Ungovernable Misfits. You won't be sorry. Take care, guys. See you on the next one.